0: Welcome to Houston
1: Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. There's a drive into
0: left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all
1: time, and it's Henry Aaron. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is longtime Astros broadcaster, who I consider the show's pseudo-baseball historian. Uh, He knows way more than I'll ever know. And with the passing of Hank Aaron and uh, a few Astros notes over the last few weeks, I wanted to uh, get in touch with Greg Lucas. And Greg, it's great to have you back on the show. And Hank Aaron passes away Hall of Famer. I I, I don't know what we need to say about Hank Aaron that people don't already know, but his resume, incredible. And one of the things that I thought about, Greg, and this is what I, I can kind of start you off with, is... There aren't many classic baseball gods left when you look at the names, Sandy Koufax, Willie Mays. If you go back to those guys that you know, you just heard about in the 50s, for a lot of us, uh, you might remember them in their playing days back in the 50s. But this feels like it's closer to a chapter ending in baseball history when you hear that Hank Aaron is now gone.
0: I think I'd have to agree with you on that because I, I grew up in the era when I was in my 10, 11, 12, 15, up to that age where uh, there were some icons. Most of them were in the National League, and most of them were black players, guys like uh, uh, Willie Mays and Frank Robinson and Roberto Clemente and Hank Aaron. Uh, They were just basically playing in all-star games every single year. And in Hank's case, that was true. In fact, in some of them, he played in two because there was a short period where they played two all-star games. That's why his uh, his record shows 25 all-star games. Now, when you are that good, and you are that well recognized to get uh, named to 25 All Star games. You are a consistently
1: great player, that's exactly what Hank was. And so consistent. I mean, if you took away—this is one of my favorite numbers in baseball history, Greg. If you took away his 700 and what is it, 55 home runs, he still had 3,000 hits. Oh
0: yes. I mean, and there's so many great players that never achieved that amount. Now they had reasons. I mean. Some missed some years because of the wars, which you can't, you can't take that against them. But guys like Babe Ruth didn't get to 3000 hits and Lou Gehrig didn't get to 3000 hits. And these are the real icons of an earlier era. And Hank did it all. And he was also an outstanding outfielder and base runner. Didn't steal a lot of bases because why? He, why should he? He, he, uh, he could hit home runs, and uh, he had other guys on his Braves team particularly that hit the ball out of the park. So they didn't steal a whole lot, but Hank could have been a
1: 38-year a guy easily had stolen bases been on his uh, program. One of the cool things about Dusty Baker as Astros manager is just his connection to baseball history. He's been around so long. He's crossed paths with so many. But he was most famously connected with Hank for being on deck during that 750th home run, the one that – past Babe Ruth and Dusty said uh, today as we're speaking right after Hank Aaron's passing, he said, quote, Hank Aaron was the most important influence in my life next to my dad. He was the best person I ever knew and the truest, most honest person that I ever knew. He taught me how to be a man and proud African-American. He taught me how important it was to give back to the community, and he inspired me to become an entrepreneur. He was a great man. Greg, you know, when I think of that home run, one of the things that you always think of is Astros broadcaster Milo Hamilton's call. But really the call that always strikes me when I think about that home run call was the one by Vin Scully. Can you tell people what Vin Scully said after Hank Aaron hit that home run? Because I'm sure you remember this very vividly. One of the more famous uh, calls in baseball history.
0: Well, the only thing I remember really about it is that it was much more low-key than Milo's. Now, that's not a knock at Milo, because Milo was, uh, I believe he was working radio at the time, and if you don't describe it with flair and exuberance, uh, you're not doing it right. And and Vin, uh, Vin was always much more low-key, and that's exactly what came across. And also, he was uh, very uh, eloquent. Uh, with his speech, I'm not going to try to quote it because I don't really remember every word for word. I just remember that it was much more low-key and descriptive. And it was as Vin Vin was as an announcer. Remember, this is from a visiting player. It didn't matter. It was a great moment. It was a great moment. And that's the kind of announcer Vin was.
1: Yeah, if I remember correctly, it was something like, how unbelievable is it that a black player in the South is being applauded for passing a white, legend, I guess, and, and Babe Ruth. I mean, that that's what I remember mostly about that call.
0: No, I remember that as you bring it back, but I'm i am one of these guys who is upset to a certain extent when things of that nature are brought up 100 years after the fact. In other words, it is true. Everything he said is true, but all he did was uh, bring back the memories. Uh, that was the one criticism I did have of that call. Uh, because I'm sure it was not uh, exactly what the populace of Atlanta would have liked to have heard, uh, bringing back memories of uh, a bad situation that we had in this country at that time and wasn't totally over. Maybe uh, there weren't as many overt racists, but there are still a lot of bigoted people. And uh, that uh, that kind of is a, a lower class of racism, but it still exists. And it did at that time. And Vin was correct in in saying it but it's it's the type of thing that uh even if I had been as good as Vin I wouldn't have I wouldn't have used as a reference I just wouldn't have that wasn't the way I I would have done it
1: To me it it spoke to the moment because he was getting death threats consistently uh during that time and and, and he was getting so many death threats that you know Dusty Baker once said that he didn't want to sit next to him because w- what if they shoot at the wrong black guy in the dugout and that's how concerned Dusty was about it yeah that started actually
0: with Jackie Robinson because he had the same problem and his teammates would make dark jokes about uh, you know I'm not, i don't want to be near you when we take the field for batting practice and and actually that that wasn't just words they did stay away uh, because of that very threat fortunately it never was uh, never did come to uh, happening but it it
1: could have also tom hall spoke about Hank Aaron House is best known by Astros fans for his coaching and training, Nolan Ryan, extending his career, but he's also connected to Hank because he caught Aaron's 715th home run when it cleared the fence as he was standing in the bullpen. He he said, quote, uh, Hank Aaron changed my life. The greatest moment I ever got to be a part of was catching 715. That moment bonded us forever as friends and teammates. My heart hurts today to learn of his passing we watched Hank shrug off the weight of the world and just keep swinging. On that night when the ball landed in my glove, I got a small glimpse into the weight of his world. The tension of the moment and the unbridled elation of running that ball in was an out-of-body experience.
0: That incident you're talking about there is uh, brought up the, the, to, to mind where another place where Hank and Jackie Robinson were very similar. Uh, Hank had all those death threats, but they weren't made public. I mean, they they came out in the book uh, that he later wrote uh, in more detail. But it's like Jackie had to just kind of turn his cheek when he first broke in. Uh, Nowadays, of course, uh, they would be much more outspoken uh, by the players involved than they were in those days when they were trying to, uh, I, I guess, trying
1: to be an example of the positives of their race. And they certainly pulled that off. Yeah, just to finish off what House said, he said, when I finally got to him, I handed him the ball and said, here it is, Hammer. House said, I'd never seen him cry before. So really wonderful moment there. And and I, I was just wondering this, Greg, I thought, what were the numbers when Aaron faced the Houston Astros? And if you're wondering, they weren't bad. He had 46 home runs, 152 RBIs, and that was just in 208 games. So pretty remarkable 883 OPS. Larry Durker, Said that Hank hit what was it? Seven home runs off of him, Greg. I mean, he he could beat up just about everybody, yeah. but he he, you know, he was beating up for the most part. I think during that time. A, a franchise that that wasn't all that good and and was a younger franchise, so he he kind of beat up on the Astros.
0: Well, he, the thing about Hank is, as a hitter, if you look at old videos of him, and as I remember he played, he broke a lot of the rules, the so-called rules of hitting. He hit off the front foot a lot. He knew the strike zone very well, but at the same token, he also was one of those hitters that knew that there are pitches off the strike zone that are in his spot. I mean, it, so he could uh, you you really had a tough time pitching him other than the old standard in and out, up and down, because uh, he
1: could hit any of those pitches uh, and, and be on them all. How do you feel like he ranks in the lexicon of all-time players? Because, you know, he was one of those guys, they say it all the time, he was m- maybe super consistent, but not spectacular. You know, his best season doesn't match a lot of guys' best seasons. Where do you put him in the you know pantheon where you talk about guys like Willie Mays and Babe Ruth and all that?
0: What you said is the the story, because I don't think he ever hit more than 44 home runs, or maybe 47. He never got to 50, I know that. But he was right there in those ranges all those years. He was consistent. He was not flashy. He wasn't going to hit 60. He wasn't going to steal a bunch of bases. He wasn't going to make a lot of Willie Mays catches he was just a very outstanding baseball player. And, uh, and, and he was every year in his career, he, you know, he had some minor drop-offs, but they were not uh, excessive. Uh, He hit uh, you know, 3000 hits. He had a lifetime batting average of over 300. If, if he's not in the starting three in the outfield, he's like in the second three. And I'm not even sure if he shouldn't be in the starting three anyway, because he was that consistent.
1: Also want to ask you, because we lost another Hall of Famer this week, and this was a former Houston Astro. Don Sutton pitched for the Astros in 1981. and 82, he had a 24-17 and record with the Astros. His ERA was under three. It was past his prime at that point. Every year from 72 to 76, though, he was top five in the Cy Young voting for five straight years. But he pitched seven seasons after he left the Astros. So even though he wasn't in his prime... He continued to pitch well into his early 40s. Greg, he was just one of those guys that, you know, beyond that little short span in the early 70s, he just would go out there and give you a a good solid seven, eight, or nine innings every game. He was very consistent, and he was somebody that you wanted to have on your team because he was an innings eater in, in a time where you could eat eight or nine innings in a game if you were a starter.
0: Yeah, he was uh, – there was an argument I, I saw online uh, when he got named uh, – when he died about his Hall of Fame qualifications. I don't know who some of these guys are that are saying not a Hall of Famer. Well, obviously he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, the definition of is he a, is he in the starting rotation, if you have to put together a starting rotation of five Hall of Famers, No. He's not one of the top five greatest pitchers of all time, but he is certainly a hall of famer. You win 324 games as consistent as he was. And I don't care if he wasn't the ace of the staff every year, that it might've been Koufax or it might've been Drysdale or it might've been somebody else. He was a superb pitcher. And I'm one of these guys that is big time on longevity. I think longevity makes a big difference in in a Hall of Famer. And certainly he had longevity
1: in addition to having a doggone good arm. His win-loss record, 324 and 256. Earned run average in his career, 326. uh, 3,574 strikeouts. So across the board, all the numbers that you want, 300 wins, uh, low three ERA, 3,574 strikeouts. And, And to do that, over the course of that many years, like you said, with the Dodgers and the Astros, the Brewers, the Athletics, the Angels, and then he came back to the Dodgers at the end. But, you know, super long career, just the four all-star appearances. Like I said, that brief run that he had that was just extraordinary, uh, led the league in ERA actually one time, and that was the year before he was with the Astros. But, you know, just a a fantastic ball player. And, And Greg what kind of a broadcaster did was he a good broadcaster did you like him as a broadcaster because he did that for a long time oh
0: yeah i did it with, he was with the braves for quite a while in fact still when they were uh a super station so he was uh, you could hear him uh for a few of those years before that the super station uh disappeared no he was a good broadcaster he knew what he's talking about he could talk about uh pitching obviously but uh he knew a little bit about what the hitters were trying to do, and uh, he did a nice job uh, all the years that he was involved. Of course, for for a long time, his son uh, was a broadcaster in the major leagues too, uh, and I, I was impressed with him. and He's a good guy. I, I didn't know him well, but I knew him well enough uh, when he was a broadcaster anyway to uh, uh, to say hi to him or maybe be eating near him in the in the press uh, dining room. Uh, but uh, I, I think he had a great uh, all-around
1: baseball career, starting as a pitcher and then uh, then concluding really during his years behind the microphone. It's incredible this year, Greg. I mean, you look at it. These are the Hall of Fame baseball players we've lost just in the last year. Lou Brock, Joe Morgan, Bob Gibson, Tommy Lasorda, Whitey Ford, Al Kaline, Phil Necro, Tom Seaver, Don Sutton, and then Hank Aaron today. Just a remarkable group. I mean, can you believe it? Does it it seem weird to you that this many guys go in the same year? This this seems like a lot.
0: Well, it is. uh, And while most of them were at least in their seventies, seventies doesn't seem as old as it used to, I guess. And and the, the ramifications of that now is that the old timers votes for the hall of fame are going to be a little harder to get because some of the guys that definitely played when the old timers are up to be considered, are no longer going to be able to be there and voting for them. And that's, uh, that's going to make a little tougher on some of the other guys should have perhaps been there.
1: I was also going to ask you about, we haven't caught up in a while about the Astros off season and what you thought, because, you know, they, they've just added Jason Castro. Castro was there when you were still broadcasting, I believe, correct? Oh yeah. Yeah, he was. And and he, he really solidifies that. uh, They still got Maldonado and they've got Castro. So
0: Forget everybody else. Those will be the two guys who will be uh, doing, splitting the job behind the plate. The outfield, that really Springer is the only one of note that will be gone because uh, Reddick would have lost the job anyway, and uh, his job. And so uh, it, it's it's looking pretty good, actually. The outfield, the infield is is stable. Uh, Alvarez is uh, all reports. Uh, James Click was at a saber meeting uh, on uh, Monday, and he said that Alvarez is coming along very well physically, and he won't rule out the fact that uh, he may be able to work out some in the outfield and at first base to give them uh, more versatility, but he also said that the thing that will determine that will simply be the physical condition of his knees, and if, they, if they've healed well, uh, that may give the Astros some more versatility because... Uh, they, they they sometimes like to give some other guys days off and you don't want to take Alvarez out of the lineup. No, I'm, I'm liking the way things are looking. They've added some veteran bullpen arms. And the biggest thing for me is what we saw last year with the development of the young starting pitchers that we weren't expecting uh, anything out of yet. And we, we got it starting last year and, and that's going to give them great, uh, great depth in the rotation And they may even be able to handle it when uh, you know, without Verlander again, and with uh, Greinke coming into his final year. So I think this team's definitely going to be a contender and a strong contender once again.
1: Yeah, Jason Castro. I guess the my one thought with Jason Castro is that you know he's not somebody that's going to excite anybody. He's just. Somebody that you bring in, he's kind of milk toast as a hitter. He's not going to give you a whole lot. He's bad. He had that one great year with uh, as a catcher where he hit uh, close to 280 with the Astros, and it looked like, oh, this guy's going to be a really solid catcher for a long time, both hitting and fielding, and then he never could do it again. He, there's nothing fun about Jason Castro. It's just one of those guys, Greg, where – you need somebody solid as a backup and a veteran, and somebody that can handle a pitching staff in a pinch in case something happens to Maldonado. Because you know Dusty showed in the playoffs; he's not afraid to go with Maldonado every single time out there. You know, he he just he was not uh, afraid to, to wear Maldonado, and Maldonado was able to handle it. He he did not seem to get worn down with all the the, the games that he was playing, and and the Astros were not getting a ton of. You know, off days in those series with the pandemic going on and everything
0: no, i think you 're going to see a situation where Maldonado is the everyday catcher uh, uh, Castro is the backup, but they won 't have to go any deeper than that. They may have a third catcher on the roster just because now the the rule is going to be thirteen position players and thirteen pitchers, we are told by Jim Click, and so consequently that opens a door for a third catcher. But the big thing is he can spot him he can he can put Castro in against the tougher right handers when Maldonado is caught four days in a row, uh, give him a day off uh, and uh, and occasionally get it, get uh, Castro just some starts and now it'll it 'll give Maldonado probably at least one or two games a week off for sure and that'll help him down the stretch. But he will be the regular, and Castro will be the backup, and Castro will be a really good backup because he's a veteran. He's been around. He's been a starter. He's a. Uh, he'll be a good one. I think their catching is in pretty good hands.
1: I want to ask you one last thing before you go, because when George Springer left, you know, he was somebody that, you thought of as maybe the most clutch Astro in postseason games of of anybody in their history. But if you look at the numbers, you know, you could make an argument between three guys, I think, with Altuve having 18 home runs, 40 RBIs, and a 942 OPS. Springer in the same number of games, 19 home runs, 38 RBIs, 895 OPS. So it's a little bit less than, than Altuve OPS-wise, but, you know, he's got more home runs. The RBIs are almost the exact same. And then there's Lance Berkman, and people forget how great Lance was. Now, he didn't have all the games that these guys did, but six home runs, 20 RBIs, a little less than half the games. So you might have to double that to get to to these other guys. But 992 OPS, almost 1,000, which is just incredible. And that's what he did pretty much for his career because he got back with the Cardinals, won the World Series there, and the Yankees. So if you put them all together, I mean, it's just... It's amazing. Is there one of these guys that sticks out for you, or, or do, would you rank them in any certain order as as best postseason Astro of all time? Well, the two that, are, that
0: were more current, obviously, it's hard to leave them out simply because they did play more games, and therefore they had more chances for huge hits. Uh, Lance didn't play as long, but uh, no less an authority than Jeff Bagwell said that Lance Berkman was the best hitter that he ever played with during his career. And and it would show in a way because Jeff was outstanding on OPS too. But the thing with both of them is their on-base percentage, just itself was outstanding. Both of them were over 400. And you can look through the whole roster of Hall of Famers and you will find far fewer 400-plus on-base percentage guys than you would believe. It's a, it's a tough thing because you've got to uh, – be a good enough hitter to know which pitches to lay off of and also know which pitches they're going to try to get you to swing at that aren't strikes, and Jeff and Berkman both did that. The difference was Berkman did it in the postseason as well as the regular season, and Jeff, of course, was not uh, that effective in postseason ball. If I had to pick one, I'd pick Altuve, even granted that he had a tough season last year uh, with the batting average. And the reason I'll say that is because Altuve is more likely going to get more hits in general than uh, Springer. Uh, But Springer certainly had a lot of big ones.
1: Yeah, that's the thing about Springer that I think about it. It seems like uh, you look at their postseason numbers and all three of those guys pretty similar. But when I think about, boy, when those hits were, and, of course, what Springer did in in, in the World Series is a, a whole other story. But, I mean, that's really what separates him with all the home runs that he hit in the World Series. But it, it just seems like Springer stuck out in those big moments. And, you know, I just I, – I feel like in my heart, he's the greatest Astros clutch postseason player of all time. And if I'm just going with, you know, the old vision test and, and my heart test, it's George Springer. and And he's going to be tough to replace not only – Greg, I mean, it's it's not only because Springer is is just a great clutch hitter and a great hitter in general, and, you know, defensively he's really good too, but, you know, they're really going to miss George Springer in the dugout. He he was such a, a leader in, in the way that he did it with with his positivity and his joy and the enthusiasm, and over the course of a long season, you need somebody like a George Springer in your clubhouse to kind of keep the mood light, to keep the guys up, And he was that guy. I mean, you saw it when he related to the other players, but you also saw it with how he related to everybody. That's who George was, whether it was a media person or a fan or a player. George Springer to me was one of my favorite Astros ever because he was just the kind of guy that you just had to root for. Everybody loved, you know, he overcame the stuttering issue. He's, you know, somebody that gave back to the community, gave back to people that were in the same situation that he was in. And, you know, I I just love him as much as anybody. Unfortunately, there's going to be the taint of the quote unquote taint of what happened with the Astros in 2017. But if you look at the whole picture in general, Greg, you got to love George.
0: No, I agree with everything you said. I definitely think they will miss him at the same token it was inevitable that it was time to go. And the reason I say that is because it would not have been a good business decision to sign the 31 year old player to a six year contract. And that's exactly what Toronto did. And the Astros did not want to do that. They want to, they want to hold their money for the much younger shortstop that is going to be uh, negotiating something in the near, near future and just hope that that near that shortstop will continue to show the leadership that he did last year. Uh, but I agree. He's going to be missed. No question. George Springer is going to be missed by the fans and by the, uh, his teammates in, in 2021.
1: Yeah. And and the good news with Correa and that shortstop you're talking about is he says just in the last couple of days that he wants to be a career Houston Astros. So that that's good to hear. It's going to be difficult, but you know, there's a chance now that they might keep him. And I I really didn't know if I believed that a couple of years ago. Well, I want to thank you so much, Greg, for, joining me especially you know to talk about hank aaron because when you talk about baseball I, I think there's just five or ten names that you start with and and he's definitely one of those five or ten guys
0: well i just hope this season we can get people back in the ballpark as soon as possible because i think this is going to be a very very good astro team all
1: right thanks a lot greg before we close things out just want to remind everybody you can message us through twitter facebook email info at houston stay healthy and safe everybody
0: Fastball is a high drive in the deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. He threw his arms around his father, and as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass, threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth.